You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Welcome, everyone. I think we're going to get things started, get this party started right. Um, thank you, everyone, for showing up. If you are not sure, this is supposed to be the class called LinkedIn for God. And what we're going to do in the next few weeks, we're going to explore various sort of self-help concepts that the business world and the secular world are sort of embracing. Um, all the while, those concepts have a basis in spiritual truth. And so we're going to try to uncover some of those spiritual truths as we uh, proceed through. So my name is Brent Geppert. This is my lovely, amazing wife, Charlene Geppert. Yay. Clap. Yeah, we clap. Scoring some points here. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to do my portion of the uh, lesson tonight on mindfulness. Charlene's going to do a portion of her her portion on grit, and she'll explain a little bit more detail what that's all about. So but before we get too deep into this, um, we better pray. So let's pray. All right. God, thank you so much uh, for today. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Uh, Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for your forgiveness. God, I thank you for everyone who's made it out tonight. I know everyone's got crazy schedules sometimes and illnesses and things that are holding them back. But I'm just grateful that everyone persevered and made it out to uh, this midweek. And I do pray that you uh, would help uh, my wife and myself really encourage and share and that the things that we're sharing tonight really um, build up. Uh, the congregation and really strengthen them in some way, shape or form. I pray that someone is is moved today to be um, a, little, a little bit closer to, to you and to and to and to Christ. But God, please uh, um, strengthen us uh, as we go through this lesson. Uh, please be with all those who couldn't make it tonight. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, wow. 25 more people just showed up when I prayed. OK, amen. So, um, again, welcome. Uh, we've never done this before. It's kind of a, a little bit of an experiment. So it uh, should be interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, like I said, my name is Brent Geppert. And uh, just a little introduction, I've um, been a disciple maybe 26 years. Uh, I've been married um, 18 years, almost 18 years. And um, I work at a toy company. Um, I'm, a, I'm a toy designer. Toy, I manage toys, basically. I don't manage people. I manage toys. So I'm literally in my office playing with slime, you know, playing games, you know. And uh, it's great. I mean, I, I can't complain. It's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing job. Um, and so hopefully tonight you guys get something out of what we're going to be speaking on. We're very excited and we've been preparing. So hopefully the Lord will um, intervene through our weakness and make something happen. All right. So mindfulness. Has anybody ever heard that term mindfulness? Okay. Who could give me like a definition of mindfulness? Just a brief elevator pitch definition. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller. Okay. Nestor. Okay. Paying close attention. Okay. Julie in the front row. Being considerate. Okay. Cool. All right. Jackie. Okay. Okay. There's no right or wrong answer, but hers was the right answer. Um, not that I'm looking for that. No, that would, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of stumbled upon this because... Um, Reuben did this lesson several months ago, and he used this verse that we've all seen, Romans 12, 2, right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed, or but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've heard this five billion times, right? And um, I've heard it five billion times. I'm, like I said, I've been a Christian a long time. But for some reason, it really struck me like, wow, 
maybe there's something to this mind thing that I should look into. Because for me, I, I struggle a lot with just ang- like anxious thoughts. And my mind is always racing. And I'm always just thinking about five billion things at once. And so I got to thinking, wow, maybe there is something to this. Maybe, and I started listening to sermons on YouTube, and, and there's just so much um, information, spiritual information about the mind and your thinking, right? Um, and so, yeah, I started thinking, started digging into it. But the reality is with my mind, my mind is more like this, like I said. And I'm like, man, my mind is not transformed at all. My, my mind is just scrambled, like all the time. And... Um, so I thought, okay, so maybe that's where I need to start. So that's why I started kind of um, looking into mindfulness. So I started doing all this YouTube searching around. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, there's tons of information out there for, like, self-improvement on YouTube, right? Or LinkedIn or Facebook. You see it all. Um, so mindfulness is kind of the, the soup de jour of um, self-help these days. And the definition is a mental state achieved by focusing on one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings. Thoughts and bodily sensations used as a, and it's used as a therapeutic technique. So I really thought that was interesting. So what it is is, is you just think about your thoughts. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just stopped and thought about your thoughts? Like, do you are you truly aware of what's going through your mind on an hour to hour, minute to minute basis? And what I realized is I really haven't done that. So what I've been doing is I will sit in my backyard or wherever, and I'll just sit very quietly, and I'll just think. And I won't, I won't really, I just, I'll just like observe, rather. I should, I should say I observe. That's what, that's what mindfulness is. So you basically, the idea is you just sit, and you close your eyes, and you meditate quietly. Now, that's kind of hard for a lot of us, I think, because in this day and age, there's so much like information and just, once you get on your smartphone, if you're like me, when you get on a smartphone, it's just like a flood of, you know, info and data and news and entertainment and stuff coming out of that, that, that smartphone. Or if you're at home and you're watching TV, I mean, even if you don't have those devices on, you're probably thinking about the stuff that you just watched or, or consumed or what have you. So just constant stuff. And your, your brain, I don't know if you've ever done this, like you're home, you're like, oh, I need, to, I need some entertainment. I, I need to entertain myself. You're just, you feel kind of anxious. But rarely do we just sit and let our thoughts just kind of meditate, you know, just meditate on our thoughts. And the idea is, you, okay, a lot of disciples are like, oh, man, I, I, I have I mean, some really bad thoughts. I had a lustful thought. I had, a, I had an evil thought. i got to repent. got to repent. You know, and that's great. You, you definitely need to do that. But there's also a lot of other thoughts that lie beneath the surface that are kind of guiding your, your, your behavior. And I'll get into that in a second. But there's a lot of stuff that's guiding your behavior that you're not, probably not aware of because you're not really thinking about your thoughts. Okay? So we're going to do a little exercise right now. So what I do for 30, so this is, okay, this is, you know, a little new agey, but that's okay. Just, you know, it's good. I'll show you in the Bible. They, they do this too. So what we, so, so what we're going to do, we're just going to close our eyes. And for 30 seconds, I want you just to, we're just going to think about our thoughts. Okay. It's kind of like, and, and the reality, or the, what you want, what I want you to do is don't, don't judge your thoughts. Just, just acknowledge like as if you're like on the roadway and you're watching cars go by, right? Get Chevrolet, you know. Honda, Lamborghini, I don't know, whatever. And you're just kind of like, you're just focusing and you're just thinking, what, what are these thoughts that are going through your mind? Sound good? Want to give it a try? Okay. So for 30 seconds, I'm going to do it too. Everyone do it. Um, and, and I'll time us. Okay, ready? One, two, three, and go. 
Oh, okay, that's it. <laughs> Have my eyes closed. Okay. 35 seconds. All right, so what did you, what, what thoughts came through your mind? Like what, just share, like what, what was something that came through your mind? Anyone? Okay, in the front row. Okay. A lot, and I bet you a lot of people, wasn't that a little awkward? No? Okay, it's nice, all right. Linda? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You're next, Linda. Right. Okay. Good. Are you are you going to Magic Mountain anytime soon or okay. That's Hey, you know we're not So that's part of mindfulness, right? You're not judging what you're thinking. You're just sitting back and you're acknowledging what you're thinking. Now, the, the, the reality is this kind of, kind of, there's some crossover with meditation and, and things like that. Meditation is more deliberate, like, and we're getting into that a little bit, like you're actually now placing thoughts into your mind. But um, this is interesting because it kind of shows you what's going on in your mind. And that's important because what's going on in your mind guides your life. And we're going to get into that here in a second here. But I want to read a few verses that kind of talk about mindfulness sort of in a in a roundabout way, it says, and this is one of my favorite verses that I've, that I've found in my study lately. Psalm uh, nineteen fourteen. it says, May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So he is, the psalmist is concerned. He wants not only his actions and the things on the outside to be pleasing, he wants stuff that's going on the inside to be pleasing to God. So that tells me he's aware of his thoughts. Uh, the next one is Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me. God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? He, he's aware of his anxious thoughts. He's like, God, I want you to be aware of my anxious thoughts. You know, and so kind of Daniel kind of touched on a little bit. It sounds like he had a little bit of, anxious, little bit of anxiety there and you're going through, burning through the, the list of stuff. And, and that's fine. Um, but those times that I've found when I've been doing this kind of meditation is I'm finding that it allows me to hear God's voice. It allows me to hear, you know, what, what's going on in my, in my mind. So it just allows me to just kind of shut out all the clamoring and the noise and the this and the entertainment and the worries and all that and to really hear God's voice. Not, don't, you know, not like God is, you know, speaking to me like directly. I hear a voice. Um, but just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit will, will speak to you, right, through sort of a gentle whisper. It's like with Elijah, right? The, his God's voice was in the whisper, right? Sort of like one of sort of that kind of thing. So um, I looked up some more of mindfulness, and this guy um, he's at Oxford. And a matter of fact, there's a mindfulness. There's a, <laughs> this guy is Mark Williams, the director of mindfulness at the School of Psychology at Oxford University. So that's legit. This is like a department, right? And what he said is, he says, in essence, mindfulness allows you to catch negative thought patterns before they tip you into a downward spiral. It begins the process of putting you back in control of your life. Isn't that what, what uh, Rowan's just got done saying? It's like you transform your life, you know, through your mind. 
And that's exactly what this guy is saying. You know, 2,000 years ago, Paul is like, hey, you know, if you want to change your life, guess what you need to do? You need to go to your mind. You need to figure out what's going on inside your mind. And there, there is the starting point. So I want to play, with, play a little um, a video here. This is something that uh, the, uh, this gal named um, Dr. Aaliyah Crum um, kind of did, uh, did a little, uh, it's like, actually I think it was called, more, it's about the placebo effect, but the title was Change Your Mindset, Change the Game, or Change Your Life, really is what she, what she got at. And so the, I'll set it up here. So basically there was these, um, who in here has ever heard of the placebo effect? Okay, so you guys are aware of that. It's pretty powerful, actually. Um, it is something that doctors, it fools doctors all the time. They don't know what's going on. They always have to you know, have the placebo study going on at the same time they do other studies because they never know what's going to happen as far as what the placebo will show. But um, So she did this, uh, she was studying out this, um, this, this Italian doctor who was doing these, he was doing thoracic surgery, right? Thoracic surgery is the, the, the spine, right? And um, they cut into your back and they, you know, it's a pretty invasive surgery. So they go into this, go into your back, they basically chop you up, and they, you know, they stitch you up. So then after that, you're going to be in a lot of pain. So then they administer pain medication. So, but they found there was two groups of people that got pain medication. One group was administered the pain through like a computer or like an automatic dispenser. The other group was um, administered through an actual doctor by the bedside, same computer, same dispenser, but the doctor was there and was like answering questions and, you know, pressing buttons or whatever. So this is what she found. This, uh, find this uh, kind of interesting. Hold on, please, please hold. Now about an hour after the anesthesia fades away, the pain starts to set in. Fortunately, patients are given strong doses of morphine sulfate. Hold one second. Thank you, Eddie. Full painkiller. This is routine treatment for thoracic surgery. But Dr. Benedetti and his colleagues made a few subtle tweaks. Half of the patients were given the dose of morphine by a doctor at their bedside. The other half was given the exact same dose of morphine, but it was administered into their IV by a pre-programmed pump. Now you would think that both of these groups of patients would experience the same relief, but this was not the case. The group that received the morphine by the doctor reported significant reductions in their pain levels. The other group, the group who received the same exact amount of morphine but wasn't aware of it, they didn't seem to experience the same benefit. So Dr. Benedetti and his colleagues didn't stop there. They used the same procedure to test the effectiveness of other treatments, treatments for anxiety, treatments for Parkinson's disease, treatments for hypertension. And what they found was remarkable and consistent. When the patients were aware of the treatment and expected to receive the benefit, the, pa- the treatment was highly effective. But when they weren't, that same drug, that same pill, and that same procedure was blunted, and in some cases, not even effective at all. 
So I read about these studies when I was a student at Harvard University, and at the time I was heavily immersed into the literature on the placebo effect. And the more I read, the more I started thinking about the true nature of placebos. So what, what is the placebo effect really? Well, most people discount the placebo effect as just some magical response to some fake pill or some faux procedure. But that's not what the placebo effect is. The placebo effect is not about the faux, the faux pill or the sugar pill or the fake procedure. What the placebo effect really is, is a powerful, robust, and consistent demonstration of the ability of our mindsets, in this case, the expectation to heal, to recruit healing properties in the body. Okay, so did you get that? These people were feeling way better, and it's the same medication, same chemical going to the body, but they felt way better because the doctor was there, and because they thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to feel better because the doctor's here, he or she's putting their medication into my body. Um, it, it's amazing, right? And so how does that relate to us? So this is a verse that, um, that I've also been reading lately and just kind of trying to dig into my own journey here as far as my mind and how I think and, and whatnot. I don't know if you've read this verse before. It's kind of interesting. Proverbs 23, 7 says, Do not eat the, the food of a stingy man, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The footnote is that last part, or... For as he thinks within himself, so he is. As he thinks within himself, so he is. So the way you think, now remember, this is written like 3,000 years ago. The way you think will, will be the way you are, right? That's the key. So that's why it's so important to be aware of what you're thinking, right? You need to take stock. What am I actually thinking, right? Now also, so, so just some... So here's another, well, I'm just getting, so this verse is one we've all read as well, right? 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Who in here has never heard that verse before? That's the first time you've ever heard this verse. It's okay. We all, okay, this one, this one. We've all heard it, pretty much, except, except you, it's fine. Now you have heard it. Um, right, it's a, it's a great verse about your, your mindset. Um, but it says here, take captive your thoughts, right? Um, and this is something that I didn't really realize was really just kind of almost, I wouldn't say destroying my life, but was making me, making my life very unpleasant. So I was having these, these issues where I was going to work as I was driving to work. I'm like, get all these negative thoughts, negative thoughts about my boss, about my coworkers, about my job. Now, granted, I'm making toys. It's a great job. The team is a fun team. It, if you can't have a great attitude about this job, right, you're, you're kind of up a creek, right? I found a way to think negative thoughts, to be anxious and to, like, you know, get to work and have all a bad attitude, realizing the whole time I was just, like, not aware of what I was thinking. I was not taking captive any of my thoughts. I was just letting it all, you know, just go. Now, granted, if I had, like, like I said earlier, if you have, like, there's some top-level thoughts, like I said, you know, the lustful thoughts, an evil thought, you know, these thoughts are like, oh, yeah, i got to repent of that. But what about the, the ungrateful thoughts? What about the selfish thoughts? What about the unfaithful thoughts? What about the worry? What about the anxiety? What about, you know what I mean? There's a lot of low-level thoughts. You're like, eh, those are okay, you know. I mean, everybody worries, right? I, you know. Um, anyway, so I was not taking captive the thoughts. Now, when you think about that term, taking captive the thoughts, right, in a war, if you win, you 
take captives, right? You go to the other army, you take the captives, you bring them over to your side, and you put them in jail or seclude them, right? But what I was doing is I would be like, okay, I'm going to take you captive. Here's a gun. I'm going to load it for you. Now go in the corner over there and don't bother me, right, to my thoughts. I was not disarming them, in other words. I was just letting them do whatever, you know. I was just believing them, right? I was not taking, I was not like taking stock for one and I wasn't doing anything about the thoughts. So it was just like overwhelming me. So to the point where I was getting, like I would drive into work, I'm going to quit today. I'm just going to quit. I was just turn around and call him sick. You know, it, it was, it was getting to the point where it was like really bad. And so, um, so again, this is another verse you've probably all heard before, but I wasn't actually, I wasn't using it in my life. Finally, brothers or sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, this is written by Paul. He's in jail, right? He is, has all the right in the world to be thinking negative thoughts. But no, he chose to think, you know what? I'm going to think about good stuff right now. Yeah, I am in jail, right? I'm eating slop. I don't have any water. These guys just beat me last night. But you know, I'm going to think about what is lovely today. What's admirable today? You know, so he, he, he figured it out. So no matter what was going on around him, his mind was in control, and, his, and it, was, it was powering his life. So he was in jail. He was writing half of the, old, the, or the New Testament. Not too shabby. Again, so I was like digging deep, this, and this popped up on my Facebook feed recently. It says, a neuroscientist researcher reveals four rituals that will make you happier. Okay? Everybody wants to be, doesn't everybody want to be happy, Right? Everybody wants to be happy. So what, what do you think was one of those things? Well, it turns out gratitude is one of the things that will make you happy. Another super smart guy from UCLA Neuroscience <laughs> Department, Dr. Al Skorb. The benefits of gratitude start with the dopamine system because feeling grateful activates the brainstem region that produces dopamine. Additionally, gratitude toward other, others increases activity in social dopamine circuit. I, I'm sorry. Uh, increases activity in social dopamine circuits, which makes social interactions more enjoyable. So if you're grateful, you're, you're going to enjoy not only yourself, but people around you. So that's, that was like the game changer for me. You know what? I just need to be grateful all the time. Not just on Thanksgiving. You know, on Thanksgiving, you're like, hey, I'm going to write down the things that I'm grateful for every day. I'm going to you know, write down 10 things that I'm grateful for cause it's, or I'm thankful for because it's Thanksgiving, right? But we don't do that outside of Thanksgiving. The Bible says be thankful always. Pray continually, right? That's First Thessalonians. I didn't write it down, but you know the verse, right? So gratitude is so powerful. Matter of fact, it releases dopamine. You guys, does anybody know what dopamine is? Who, who could tell me like a definition of dopamine? Is anybody? Okay, in the back. Yeah, go for it. Or one, one of you. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a pleasure chemical that's released in, in your brain when you do something good. When you're eating food, when you're playing sports, um, when you're having sex, when you're, you know, whatever. Right? So it's released in your brain. Being grateful releases that same chemical. Isn't that amazing? And you're just being grateful. Matter of fact, this, the, the, uh, Alex Korb, he says, actually, just, just thinking about things that are grateful, not just searching for things that, are, that you're grateful for, maybe you don't even come up with any. But you're just searching. That alone will release dopamine in your in your in your brain, and make you more encouraged and feel better about your life. I want to. Um, so so anyway. So I, I I was kind of. So this has really helped me a lot. You know, my anxiety level has gone down a lot. Although I just conducted shingles last Monday. 
And that's supposed to be stress-related. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. Maybe, maybe that was from the Lord. Maybe that was just like a trial that God gave me. Anyway, the point is, is that I'm feeling much better, much more relaxed, much more at peace, and just very grateful about my job. Every day I go to work, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be grateful for these people. I'm going to be thankful. I'm just as much as I can possibly jam into my brain, I'm thinking grateful thoughts. And it has been a game-changer for me personally. So I just want to touch on this. Actually, I forget what. Okay. So I want to touch on this really quick um, because the mind is powerful, right? It can heal the body. It can guide your life. It can do all these great things. Here's a story that I stumbled on that's really amazing you think about. It. I don't know if you've heard this story. You probably have. But First Samuel 26, David is on the run, right? I don't know if you guys remember this. But he's on the run from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him, basically. That's like most, most of the time. That's what Saul was trying to do to David. He's trying to kill him. So David has been – he's been um, – uh, christened or not christened he's been um how do you say it he's been anointed thank you anointed king and um but he's not king yet because saul's still alive but saul's trying to kill him so he's trying to kill him he's like chasing him down he's chasing him down and finally one night Sam, uh, david's like okay we, you know they're kind of like it's at night and he, he knows where Sam, um, saul's camp is so he goes down with the raiding party steals his, his spear i think takes it back the next day he's he shows up and he's across the ravine he goes hey Saul I got your spear I could have killed you last night and Saul's like super like wow you know he bows down to him and he's just like I'm not going to chase you anymore I'm I'm I repent and all this stuff big victory right the next chapter David does something crazy he says but David thought to himself One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. Did you catch what he did? David thought to himself. Again, his mind was not thinking about the the victory that he just had with Saul. He wasn't thinking about the fact that he's anointed king. He wasn't thinking about anything spiritual at all. He thought to himself, physical, just... His own thought. And again, we can do this. We can think of these thoughts that aren't correct, that aren't from God, that are not from the Holy Spirit, that are not based in truth in the Bible. And guess what? We take action. And that's what David David did. He became a thug, basically. Lived among the enemies of God for like 18 or 14 months. I forget however long it was. He would go raid villages, kill people, women and children. Meanwhile, he's... Totally not. He's not writing psalms. He's not writing any psalms this time. You're not going to hear any psalms from this chapter of his life. He's just so far from God. But there was one stepping. There was one thing that he did. He thought to himself, oh, I'll do this. That's how powerful your thoughts are. Your thoughts. I mean, now, now granted, the story ends well and he, he repents and he, he goes back to God and he seeks God's counsel. And, and, and the story ends up well. And if anything, this is encouraging because we can go through dark times like David and we can come out of it. And I think the key is obviously prayer, being aware of what's in your mind, seeking God's help, seeking uh, encouragement from brothers and sisters and, and getting back on track. So, but, but I thought, wow, this guy, his whole life got just sidetracked because of a thought that he had to himself. So again, just want to close here. So I guess if you got anything out tonight, just be mindful of your thoughts. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your mind. Take stock. I think it's a good, good exercise to just be, be still. Find out what's in your mind. Think about your thoughts. Uh, and adopt a faithful, positive mindset. 
in the areas of your life using God's word. All right. Okay. So I think we're, yeah. So um, I'm going to, my wife Charlene's going to come up and she's going to do um, her discussion on grit. Not grits. Grit. Okay, before I start, I have to tell you guys that Brent and I have never taught a class before. Yes. So he's a pro at public speaking, but I am not. So if I stumble through this lesson, you'll know why. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about grit, and it's based on a TED Talk that I watched by Angela Duckworth. I love that name. Um, so in biblical terms, grit is perseverance and hard work. So let's start by watching the clip from this TED Talk. When I was 27 years old, I left a very demanding job in management consulting for a job that was even more demanding, teaching. I went to teach seventh graders math in the New York City public schools. And like any teacher, I made quizzes and tests. I gave out homework assignments. When the work came back, I calculated grades. What struck me was that IQ was not the only difference between my best and my worst students. Some of my strongest performers did not have stratospheric IQ scores. Some of my smartest kids weren't doing so well. And that got me thinking. The kinds of things you need to learn in seventh grade math, sure, they're hard. Ratios, decimals, the area of a parallelogram. But these concepts are not impossible. And I was firmly convinced that every one of my students could learn the material if they worked hard and long enough. After several more years of teaching, I came to the conclusion that what we need in education is a much better understanding of students and learning from a motivational perspective, from a psychological perspective. In education, the one thing we know how to measure best is IQ. But what if doing well in school and in life depends on much more than your ability to learn quickly and easily. So I left the classroom and I went to graduate school to become a psychologist. I started studying kids and adults in all kinds of super challenging settings. And in every study, my question was, who is successful here and why? My research team and I went to West Point Military Academy we tried to predict which cadets would stay in military training and which would drop out. We went to the National Spelling Bee and tried to predict which children would advance farthest in competition. We studied rookie teachers working in really tough neighborhoods, asking which teachers are still going to be here in teaching by the end of the school year. And of those, who will be the most effective at improving learning outcomes for their students? We partnered with private companies asking, which of these salespeople is going to keep their jobs? 
And who's going to earn the most money? In all those very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. And it wasn't social intelligence, it wasn't good looks, physical health, and it wasn't IQ. It was grit. Grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future, day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, so Angela Duckworth defines grit as passion and perseverance for very long goals, very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is working really hard to make your future a reality. And her study showed that grit was the most significant predictor of success in many different contexts. But what I found most interesting was her finding that grit is unrelated to talent. In fact, she found that grit was a lot of times had an inverse relationship to talent. So in other words, the most successful people are not necessarily the most talented. They are the ones who work the hardest and persevere to achieve their long-term goals. So this concept of grit, I think, is all over the Bible. In Romans 5, 3, 4, it says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So this is essentially what Angela Duckworth discovered, that when you go through hard times, those who are willing to persevere will build their character and ultimately achieve success. So grit is something that you can choose to have. It's a mindset like Brent was talking about. So when you're faced with a difficult situation, you can either give up or you can choose to be gritty. So I decided to talk about this topic because I feel like I've had to persevere in uh, different areas of my life and in particular uh, in my career. So as many of you know, um, I'm an attorney. And I want to share with you tonight my very long journey uh, to get to becoming an attorney. Because there were many points along the way where I almost gave up. <clears throat> so I went to law school at the University of San Francisco, USF. And my first year of law school was terrifying. Um, law school is very intimidating because everyone's smart. There's endless amounts of reading and preparation for class, and uh, there's a lot of pressure because in each class, there's only one test, and that's the final. So in other words, there's no midterms or anything. There's only one test. So if you can go through the whole semester and do all the work, but if you blow it on the final, that's your grade for the class. Like, there's no second chances. So my first year, I did okay in all my classes except for two. 
And in those two classes, I got a C minus. So at my school, a C minus was considered a failing grade. And so because I didn't pass those two classes, I ended up getting kicked out of the program. And so when I first found out that I basically flunked out of law school after my first year. So when I first found out, um, I was in shock because I had never done poorly in school before. Um, I felt embarrassed because everybody knew that I was in law school. I felt guilty because I felt like I had wasted my parents' money. And I also felt somewhat uh, resentful because all of this happened while I was a disciple. And I thought, God, why would you bring me this far only to fail? And so I had two options to get back into school. The first one was I could petition the school to, to let me get back in. So I filed a petition, and it was rejected. So my second option was to retake just those two classes, and if I did better, then I could get back into the program. So the idea of taking a whole year just to take those two classes with no guarantee that I would do any better was not very appealing to me. So I decided to start looking for a job instead. So I, I, got an inter, I had an interview with a job that I actually really wanted, and then I got called back for the second interview, and I decided, okay, if I get this job, then I'm just going to give up on being an attorney, forget about law school, and just go back into the working world. So as you can imagine, I did not get that job. So I went back. I, I retook those two classes. I did much better, and then I ended up getting back into school. And then I proceeded to go through my second and third years of law school without any issue, and I graduated, praise the Lord. So after graduation, I immediately went into studying for the bar exam. So the bar exam is a grueling three-day exam, six hours a day, and it's only offered uh, twice a year. So there's a very strict timeline that you can study for the bar and take it. So I, I signed up for a 10-week, very intense bar review course. And I started studying about 10 to 12 hours a day, every day. So basically, I was consumed with studying for the bar. So in my bar review class, I ended up meeting this girl named Linda. She came to church with me, and I studied the Bible with her. And she ended up getting baptized one week before I took the bar, which was amazing. So I had one more week to study. I was praying that God would help me pass the bar because in my, I'm thinking in my mind, this would be such a great faith story, right? I was studying for the bar, met Linda. I gave up my time studying for the bar to study the Bible with her. She got baptized. So God's going to make up the difference for all the time that I gave up studying for the bar, and he's going to help me pass. So I took the bar. Turns out, that my plan was not God's plan, and I did not pass the bar. And so I felt discouraged, but a lot of people don't pass the bar. 
the first time. So I decided to take the bar again. And so I immediately went into my study mode. I signed up for a different bar review class, and I started on the same 10-week course of study. So I studied same intense study schedule. I took the bar exam a second time, and this time I did not pass the bar. So by this time, I was mentally drained. Um, I had lost all confidence, and I really didn't feel like I had it in me to do everything all over again. So I basically languished for two weeks, did nothing, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, then I called a sister down here in L.A. who was an attorney uh, to get some advice from her. So she said, you cannot give up. You have to take the bar exam again. And I distinctly remember she said, God is not going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. You have to do your part. And so I decided to take the bar again for a third time. But the problem was I had already wasted two weeks of the 10-week study time. So I was already two weeks behind. Um, So I couldn't take another bar review class. So you might be thinking, well, you've already taken the test twice, so shouldn't the third time be easy? But the thing with the bar is you're responsible for knowing about 11 areas of the law, but they don't test you on the same areas every time. So there's no two tests the same. It's different every time. So I started studying on my own, and I started praying. So the first two times I took the bar, all I was doing was praying for, for the results to pass. This time I decided to stop praying for the result, and I started praying for my response to the result instead. Meaning, I started praying that whatever happened, that I would be okay with it, because I knew that it was God's decision whether I passed or not. And so I took the bar a third time, and this time I passed. So that's a little bonus lesson for you on surrendering to God. So, um, after persevering through all that, it still took me another year to find a job, but here I am. So, so the first component of grit is perseverance, as I just talked about. The second component of grit is working hard. So, in Colossians 3, 22 to 24, it says... Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as as a reward. Is the Lord Christ you are serving. So as disciples, we should be the hardest working, best employees because we're, look, we're working for the Lord and not for men. So I, I work for the Cal, uh, state of California Court of Appeal as a research attorney. Uh, my boss is a judge, so basically I'm like an advisor to him. I just advise him on how to rule on different cases. And I've been at my job 
for 20 years now. This is the same job that I got after I passed the bar. So I moved down here to L.A. for this job, and I'm still at this job 20 years later because I love my job. So I think my success at my job is not because I'm the smartest attorney there. For sure, I'm not the smartest attorney. But it's because I really try to work hard. But at the same time, I can't take any credit for it because I know that God is the one that got me this job, and I'm just doing my part by working hard. So now I've discussed grit in the context of school and work, but I actually think grit applies to any area of life. And most importantly, I think uh, it takes grit to be a disciple. So in James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So in my opinion, grit is the thing that will keep you faithful to the end. So I would define grit as passion and perseverance to stay with God no matter what. So Angela Duckworth, the last thing she said in the clip was, grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I'm sure you've heard that before. But this is the mindset that we should have as disciples. So I have been a disciple now for about 30 years. Uh, I started in the campus ministry at Berkeley with Dick and Anna G. And it's funny, um, many years ago I went to a Christian conference in the Philippines. So it was a gathering of disciples from all the different churches in Asia. And I was fellowshipping with these sisters from Korea, and they asked me how long I had been a disciple. And so I told them, and they looked at me, and they go, Ah, Jurassic Christian. (laughs) So I think they meant that as a compliment, but I'm not sure. So let me read one last scripture. One last scripture. That's your cue. Uh, in Second Thessalonians 3, 5, it says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So I think there is no better example of grit than Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he is our role model, and he is our inspiration to be gritty. So I would encourage you to study out perseverance in the Bible, or another good word to study out is endurance. So I think I've reached my time limit, so let me wrap all of this up by saying... Uh, Let's be mindful, let's be gritty people, and let's give glory to God. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Okay, so, um, let me squeeze over here. So, um, yeah, so basically that's it. Um, Are there any questions? We definitely have a few minutes. Dana has any questions? Just kidding, I'm just calling you out. All right, in the back, yeah, Ramon. 
Okay, so the question is, how do you determine your negative thoughts versus Satan's temptations? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Because, well, let's let's put it this way. Do you think Satan's going to give you any positive thoughts? Probably not. I, you know, that's an interesting thing. And then the other question could be, how do you know that's the Holy Spirit? Or is that just me? Right? So that's where it gets to really understanding the scriptures. Right? I think when we know God's word, our thoughts should, you know, correspond with God's word. Right? And if things don't, if they're not, like that verse it says, if they're not obedient to Christ, if they're in, in conflict with Christ, guess what? It actually doesn't really matter if it's from Satan or from yourself. It's something you need to take captive and, and you know, redirect. You know what I mean? But it's a good question. I mean, both are, are <laughs> need to be redirected. I guess that's the, the short answer. All right. So thank you, everyone. Hopefully you got a little something out of tonight. Um, hopefully you're encouraged. Um, so for next week, we're going to continue this um, series. So um, Warren and Aisha Burks are going to be doing uh, their lesson. Are they here tonight, Warren? Oh, there they are. Do you guys want to stand up and say? No, just kidding. I'm just... Um, they're going to do their a lesson on common habits that are keeping you from success. Ooh, that'll be a good one. All right. So um, that's it. Have a great night. Um, and we'll see you on Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.